0: Stand on the edge of a broken sky. I'm looking down. Don't know why. Henrik, you're still here. I'm
1: here in the metaphysical sense. This is... I'm, in, a, in a background work to, to today's episodes, I'm currently defecting to North Korea.
0: Well, I guess we have to go through with this North Korean flick then, since you have made all the trouble of coming back to the laboratory. Even though I tried to throw the keys to the river.
1: Well, I, I wasn't given much
0: choice. Have you seen the interview? The 2014?
1: Oh, yeah, you mean, you mean the American comedy?
0: A North Korean edition, yes.
1: No, I haven't. I, I refuse to check up on the capitalist lies.
0: <laughs> I checked it for a few minutes, but um, it looks like I'm not going to be a big fan of this film. You know, you can check out like a one minute of a certain film sometimes, and you know you will not be very pleased.
1: That that will most often be the
0: case if the film is coming from the West. So, am I sensing some communism thoughts here <laughs> tonight?
1: <laughs> Only the enlightened bird views,
0: Henrik. There's a certain limit for being nice to the countries <laughs> of the films that we're going through in this podcast. You know.
1: but, but there is no limit to the extent I will go in order to save my own skin.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess you have to watch your skin there in Rovaniemi in that case. But it just could be that uh, they won't bother.
1: Most likely they won't bother because of us. Because once again we are dealing about North Korea and there only like one person has an internet connection. And he most sure as shit ain't going to spend his time listening to this podcast.
0: The internet connection allowed only for the rich, higher class. Probably only in Pyongyang. So, and even that will be on a shared
1: computer. Yeah, it's it's been hidden into some dusty old bunker, but it's under constant surveillance.
0: And even then, there are some firewalled websites. Plenty. Have you seen this film before?
1: I haven't seen today's film. Like North Korean cinema altogether is something that's. Quite hard to come by.
0: That it is. I think I haven't seen any other North Korean films, at least in full. I have seen some clips and pieces. Of course, there is a vast library of some interesting Godzilla-like copies, like Bulgassari, one of those films uh, directed by the couple that was hijacked, or mainly the man. Of this couple, which I, I have to point out is completely fake news, and nothing of the sort ever happened. Well, it's good that we have our facts straight in this podcast.
1: Yeah, I had an uh, accurate record here that basically, for example, today's film, it, the director was killed in Kim.
0: Yeah, and uh, the story goes something like this: that they were kidnapped. First, the wife was kidnapped, and. Then the director himself went to look for his wife in Hong Kong, but was kidnapped as well, and they spent several years inside North Korea, forced to make movies, and finally they got their chance to escape when they were in the Vienna Film Festival, snuck up under the guards' noses, took a taxi, and went to the U.S. Embassy. So, of course, a lot of what they have told is relying upon their own testimonies, but they do have this recording that they allegedly did record while in the company of Kim Jong-il.
1: Which is fa- famously as known, it is a CIA lies, and the recording is completely manufactured. Of course. Nothing he... of the short ever happens, but yeah, that is kind of the crazy history behind today's film.
0: Yeah, because this director is also the uncredited director of this film. I do not know. It was very hard to come by any proper information on this movie, but most likely this was directed solely by him and the directing mantle or title in the film anyway was given to Kill In Kim and the proper director was probably the, the South Korean Sung Ok Shin.
1: Like I said, it's hard to actually confirm and it is something that we unfortunately are forced on to go completely on hunches.
0: Well, the guy had a career in South Korea and then suddenly went to North Korea to make films. I don't think he was that big of a fan of uh, Kim Jong-il that he would take the leap to go there to make movies and then come back. No, but to confirm that he actually is... Is the real uncredited
1: director of the film. That is kind of a hard... uh, You can't actually get that much proof. Like solid fact proof on the matter. Not for this episode anyway. Probably the truth is out there. I I would hazard to say that the truth is something that you can never actually completely find on, on this subject. Because it, it depends on who you are asking. If, if you ask from North Korean officials, obviously nothing of the short ever happened. And the couple simply defected to North Korea. And Sung Ok Shin would not have taken part in directing this one.
0: Yeah, well, if you ask from Kim Jong-il, in his honest opinion, Sung Ok Shin came to North Korea by his own will. But take it with a huge truckloads of assault. But the point that I'm, I'm
1: aiming at is that even if you are forced to take everything with a grain of salt, actually verifying any statement is pretty hard one because North Korea kind of has a counter-argument against every argument you can propose against them. If you if you go with the kidnapping narrative, which most likely is what actually did happen, North Korea is the first one to actually denounce every such accusations and they are quickly to point out that Sung Ok Shin and his then ex-wife were repeatedly allowed to leave North Korea, of course under surveillance, which most likely would be spin that it was on their own protection, but were still allowed to leave it, for example, to take part in cinema festivals. Whenever they were actually presented rewards for the films they had made. It's those weird cases where there is this unofficial truth that most definitely holds water and is what happens. But if you try to present it, if you try to make an actual accusation, the official side can manufacture enough fake evidence to support their narrative and overcoming that fake evidence becomes actually quite impossible.
0: True, but if we listen to Sung Ok Shin, in his own words, he tried to escape twice from North Korea when he was captured and taken to North Korea. And after that, he was sent to prison for two years, was re-educated, and once it was deemed that he is re-educated enough, he was given more freedoms and uh, began directing. And after that, when they finally managed to get out of North Korea. He managed to get out of North Korea with his wife. They got to the U.S. Embassy, as said, and did live in the United States for two years. Looks like solely for the reason that Sang Ok Shin was really hesitant to go back to South Korea because uh, he didn't believe that the authorities would believe the whole kidnapping story, which is quite incredible, I have to admit. But why not?
1: Um. Yeah. It, it it is and it isn't. Like once again, the hostilities between the two Koreas they are so high, and they defecting from one side to another and counterwise. It is such of a politically loaded subject that I it's of easy to believe that both nations record such talks with a heavy grain of salt and are paranoid to a point in believing basically anything that goes around when it comes to defecting or being kidnapped. And in that sense, South Korean officials, they, I I kind of can agree with Sung of Shin's fears that the South Korean officials, they could have also taken the stand that Shin would have simply defected and would not have been kidnapped. So yeah, in order to give some background in, in into the basically the two players of the whole kidnapping narrative, both Xing shang okay and Choi In-hee were both they were both kind of a heavyweights in the South Korean cinema back in the nineteen seventies or nineteen sixties before the nineteen seventies, and this was most likely the time period because of why they actually caught the eye of. Kim Jong-il in the first place and then in the 1970s the South Korean government started to implement censorship program that also affected the filmmaking in South Korea and this is kind of the point that brought both chang Ok's and Choi Eun hees careers to the rock bottom because they couldn't actually completely work with the new censorship. And to my understanding, this was also kind of the time period when Xing and Choi divorced due to Xing being a continuous uh, adulterer and having affairs with uh, two or three extra women on side of Choi Yun-hee. And this kind of is when the kidnapping Finally took place it was nineteen seventy eight when Choi went to Hong Kong to meet a mysterious contact who had proposed a directorial kick to Choi. And Choi was drugged and boated out of Hong Kong and straight into North Korea. And the main pro reason behind this was that Choi was being used as paid for Xing Ok, who then yeah. Following the trail of breadcrumbs, also traveled to Hong Kong where also he was later on kidnapped.
0: Yeah, let's check out some North Korean history really quickly because most people know kind of the basics, but yeah. The Korean Peninsula, Korea was first like a unified country in the early 1900s, and then there was the Japanese occupation which lasted from 1910 to 1945, so about 35 years. After which, there was of course the World War II, which affected the political sides of the Korea, which split the whole country in two. Officially, it was split by the United States, who split it roughly in half. This is a very simplified version. And after this, uh, the North Korea... A couple of years after this was solidified with the Russians, the North Koreans launched the Korean War, which lasted from 1950 to 1953. And that's kind of that in a, in a nutshell that now we have North Korea, the communist side and South Korea, the, well, capitalist side.
1: That's kind of an ex- extremely in nutshell. Extremely. Extremely and in so much nutshell that it's it's impossible to say anything about North Korea with that much of a nutshell.
0: <laughs> but yeah, North Korea being pretty much the only country of its kind in the present day. North Korea is definitely something else with a person cult going on. No internet access access for regular people. Basically all communications to the outside shut, except for high officials and pets of the political system.
1: North Korea has ended up in this kind of a state where it, it is, at the similar time, it is both the boogeyman of the entire world and it's also the joke of the entire world. Whenever anybody talks about North Korea, it's very hard to actually, you know, hold back the snickering. You are going to immediately hear because we kind of have this image that the North Korea it itself has never actually helped. But this extremely crazy and facing everything with hostility kind of a nation. It's it's kind of, kind of the mad chimp of the world, nation-wise. You could say when it comes to the attitudes that you often combine with North Korea and how North Korea is being talked about. It's either that. It's either the idiotic nation or then it's the overtly violent and constantly threatening in the rest of the world with a nuclear launch type of nation. It's, it, these two sides go hand in hand with North Korea. It's the global threat and it's the global joke, both at the same time. And that's what makes covering North Korea such of a hard subject because there is I, I would almost make the case that neither one of those are exactly the 100% truth of what North Korea is but but instead the truth kind of lies there somewhere in the middle.
0: Fortunately, nowadays in 2018, for example, there's been a lot of uh, newfound friendliness between South and North Korea. At least that's how it looks. On the outside, of course, there's the fact that North Korea might be in such of a situation at this point that they are running out of options. They have to negotiate themselves some help.
1: I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of see the, the age old gambling move going on once again. Yeah. W- w- when but, it comes to the kind of a more lenient attitudes.
0: But certainly it's been kind of a different level of lenient attitudes lately at least Kim Jong-un did take the huge step for mankind and did step to the side of South Korea which was the first time since the Korean War friendly things touches touches like this
1: I wouldn't count too much on that to me it and once again this, this comes from a film podcast side and not from a high paid political analyst but To me, it was kind of an empty gesture from Kim's side, because there is kind of this puppet theater that I feel we have seen when it comes to North Korea and the global theater in that sense, in the sense that it's easy to see why the narrative would play out as it has now. And it's easy to kind of see that this is something that has also played out in the recent history. The way how I approach the situation when it comes to what has now happened in the Korean Peninsula and with the attitudes between north and South I'm seeing a repeated behavioral pattern in one way in, in the sense that North Korea likes to play this fast and lose game where it first it comes out with guns blazing and makes these extremely hostile threats and it lets the fear. And the anxiety to play out on a global scale where everybody starts to be once again be afraid of what North Korea would be doing next. And one, once the is hit the high point, then the North Korea starts to be more lenient. It starts to, to once again slide back into that more diplomatic role. It starts to make diplomatical openings, like for example with Kim Jong-un, who first it declares that that North Korea is going to drive once can extremely hardly its nuclear plan.
0: Yeah, I'm no stranger to the to the yo-yo game that the North Korea has been playing. I've seen it happen, and it's happened ever since the Korean War, basically. But what I've seen now is kind of a something that I have not seen or read before. Whether or not it will mean anything, we'll see. But. Kim Jong-un for a long time didn't have basically any kind of friendly relationship or contact with China. Now that is happening. There's contact happening with Donald Trump at the moment, which is quite something. There is that stepping into the South Korean side. There is a lot of uh, uh, publicity, interviews of Kim Jong-un. It's the first time, as far as I know, that any of the North Korean leaders have come on to show their face in front of the Western press. So it's something, but what that something will move into, who knows, really. Probably somebody who is uh, not doing a film podcast.
1: Then again, when it comes to that, and when it comes to, like you called it, the yo-yo game, which I would say is pretty accurate description on how North Korea likes to play its politics, you kind of have to remember that Kim, Kim Jong-un still is relatively young leader at least in the form of of the supreme leader of north korea and in that sense kim jong-un really hasn't had that much time yet to play the yo-yo game and mm. what, what we are now seeing like you pointed out what, what we are now seeing is kim jong-un's first lenient approaches towards america and towards south korea but at the same time this is on the time scale of what eight years that he has been the supreme leader. So there hasn't been that much time yet for him to play the game. And at the same time, if the reports when it comes to capabilities of the song 14 are true, and if it's true that North Korea's ICBM program has finally advanced and they are finally reaching the launch capability To reach as far as Alaska or as far as the United States. like What I've understood about the situation is that they have now the missile capacity to launch a long-range missile attack. They have the missile. The problem at this point is that they haven't yet have small enough nuclear component for that missile so that they can have an active nuke. They have the launch capacity, but they don't have the nuclear bomb to try into the missile so that they could ha- launch a nuclear missile. And that is the only problem they are now tackling with. So in that sense, at this point, it kind of even makes strategic sense for Kim Jong-un to finally start to take the more lenient approach because... In a way, North Korea would have already achieved what it was achieving all the time. It has achieved the launch capacity. And because of that, it no longer has to play time and try to keep the situation on a manageable level while they are studying their way to reach the launch capability.
0: How lovely it would be to have a North Korean defector here joining in this podcast. Maybe next time when we have plenty more listeners.
1: It it actually... Could be more interesting to have actual North Korea to take part <laughs> on or, or the podcast. So, maybe, um, maybe some on the state side to tell us ex- extremely how how badly we are misreading the, any given film that we are touching upon on this podcast. And how we are simply spreading the capitalist lies.
0: Even better. But I, I, I fear that there would be too much of wanted control for the editing booth. So maybe not. But yeah, let's not do that political podcast anytime soon.
1: (laughs) Well, we we kind of, of I I would say at this point, it's kind of too late to have any hopes that we wouldn't end up in making a political podcast because these episodes, many of them, they kind of have that split meaning between a movie podcast and between a political podcast.
0: Don't think we take any sides, but I think it's great that we give a little bit of background to the. Countries that the films are coming from about Hong Gildong. Well, Hong Gildong Jong is a Korean novel. It was written during the Joseon dynasty from 1392 to 1897. So this book is about the illegitimate son of a noble man and his lowborn concubine. So a bit of a background of that is probably in order, at least in China and seems like also in korea in the past it has been so that you have a wife and you might have a lower class concubine meaning a second wife with lower value apparently and in the book there is the lowborn concubine son who has supreme intelligence and supernatural abilities and steals from the rich and corrupt often compared to robin hood henrik which makes sense there is some historical records that have evidence of a bandit called Hong Gildong from the 1500s. Apparently, though, the character inspiration comes from a Korean bandit and folk hero called Im kok who lived in the 16th century. And since the novel was released, it has become a mainstay classic in Korean culture and literature. Today... Hong Kildong is also kind of a placeholder name in Korea. Much like Matti Mekelainen in Finland or John Doe in the States or John Smith. First truly Korean main character, one of the most important early Hangul novels. Perhaps the most important classic work of Korea as far as the cultural achievements go. The book is split in three different parts. First part happens in the Hong residence. Second part deals with Honkildom becoming the leader of the band of outlaws. And third part is the part that you do not see in the film. It's the start of a new life in the country of Yule, after they have overthrown Yule's king. There is no, according to my knowledge, any official release available for this film. So the way to watch this film is YouTube, ladies and gentlemen. And... According to the channel that shared this film there said that this film is was particularly popular in Eastern Europe and Cuba as it was widely distributed among other socialist countries. Which is kind of surprising when you actually finally see the film
1: and you start to actually notice how a long time for its running time the socialist messaging is kind of extremely subtle here.
0: I don't get this really... As a propaganda film. And maybe it in that sense... It does it's...
1: have the elements if you know how to look for them.
0: Okay, I guess we get into that in scene by scene.
1: But once again, you're not actually seeing it as a propaganda film. It very much plays... I would say it very strongly plays into the director's capabilities here. And carva goes to show you exactly why Kim Jong-il originally wanted to have the pair, and most notably Samok Shin kidnapped into North Korea. That they would not make propaganda films. That they would make more subtle propaganda films.
0: Why would he want you, that? I mean... that. Uh, you mean because uh, the audiences were getting bored of the extremely obvious propaganda films?
1: Precisely that, because if
0: everybody was
1: getting bored at them, and even Kim Jong-il himself was kind of ashamed of the typical narrative and the typical way how North Korean films were made. It it was in 1966 when Kim Jong-il originally started working as the Head Motion Picture and Arts Division of Propaganda and Agitation Department. To to understand the situation, why the kidnapping happened, you kind of need to have at least some of the background knowledge and during this time kim himself was like us he was a fellow cinephile and he took part in producing some of the north korean cinema and this may mm-hmm. like animation and dramatic war films and stuff like that and this may in part it, this could actually explain where that North Korean stereotype about Americans for example come from the pignosed Yanks as that was something that was kind of seen in the North Korean animation at the time. But what Kim Jong Il himself was noticing it was that the films that North Korea was producing they were even on his, his opinion they were pretty wooden and goddamn God boring. To a point where he, I guess accidentally, ended up going as far as giving a praise to capitalism, as weird as it sounds. Kim Jong-il has been noted to going on for the record on saying when I watch our films, they are also dogmatic. Why do our films always have the same ideological stories, why are there so many crying scenes? Frankly speaking, the reason is that in the South they work hard because they need to make money to feed themselves. It's a result of blood, sweat, and tears. But in here, people are simply happy and comfortable. No one whips them onwards. (laughs) And this is kind of a. This was the driving problem that Kim Jong il was facing during the time. The communist system that was at play in North Korea was aiming on giving a fair share to everybody so that everybody got compensated no matter the amount of work that the, the individual put on, meaning that people often gave the minimum effort on any given task. And this is why Kim Jong-il felt that this was the reason why North Korean cinema was as bad as it was at the time. And the, and the reason behind Sun okay Shin's kidnapping was precisely to change this fact, because Kim Jong-il couldn't find any way to actually fix the system itself. He couldn't go against the communistic dogma and the communistic system and start to implement capitalism so... He did the, I, I guess, the next le- best logical thing, which was simply to kidnap new blood into the cinematic system of the North Korea.
0: There is kind of a moderate quality to be seen here under the guidance of Oxygen, so I wasn't expecting the level of cinematographic quality here, for example. So maybe that had kind of an effect on the overall product.
1: Something I would say that very much may have had an effect on the overall product was that shang Ok Shin was guided to make the, the socialistic messaging more harder to see and more under the surface so so that it wouldn't be so all in your face.
0: Do we have anything on the actors? On my side, not really.
1: No, not actually. In, in many cases, it's hard to say who played a that role? Pointing out individual actor and saying that he was really great on this role is something that we can't do since we don't know who is the actor.
0: Well, we do know this. The director, Kim Kilin, has three credits that we know of. A film called Center Forward. It's a football movie. Then there is Miles Along the Railway. I guess no one knows what this is or no one has even seen it. And then there is tonight's film. So that's it when it comes to him. And Shing Sang-ok, or Sang-ok Shin, is indeed the uncredited second director of this film. Maybe the only sole director of the film. Hard to say. But he also did indeed direct Pulgasari. He did seven films. And after that, he escaped. Actors, we know next to nothing about the actors, The information flow from North Korea isn't exactly too open, but the one with the most acting credits seems to be Yoon Hong Kim, who also acted in Seoul's protest from 2001, which is a North Korean Titanic type of film. Probably works also as a good propaganda to never attempt to leave the country by boat. Just saying. And then there is also Yong-ho Ri, who played Hong Gil-dong. His latest acting credit that we know of is Comrade Kim Goes Flying from 2012. And he's acted in eight or nine films since the early 80s. At least the ones that we know of. And we also have at least one Japanese actor in this, quite surprisingly. when Well, if you're going to talk about propaganda in this film, there is propaganda against Japanese. So there's a Japanese actor and... Uh, interesting considering that this is a North Korean film depicting uh, the Japanese as aggressors but so it is and the actor is Kenpachiro Satsuma that's the extent of information in the laboratory.
1: Kenpachiro Satsuma and, and the director or or suspected director Xing shang being the most notable figures in this film and the one that are kind of a, the easiest one to track. With Satsuma, it, 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 it would most likely be the Japanese Godzilla films, and with shang Oki, it would be the, his directing career, even though even that one wouldn't be that easy of a task, because most of his career was made in in South Korea. And then possibly, depending on exactly how many films he did there, also in North Korea, and then there were one directorial job in in U.S. and two production jobs, that being the three ninjas movies. The first one which he directed and the two sequels that he produced. Henrik, would it be scene by scene? Oh, I guess it could be scene by scene.
0: The film starts with a kind of a North Korean version of a Paramount logo, or something like this. One of those statues out there in Pyongyang, I believe. From which we get to the introductory phase of the film. Which seems to have no audio in the first to 5-10 seconds. And then you hear this kind of a, well, laughable sound effect of water. So we are going to have some pretty cheap sound editing in this film. Which is kind of a hallmark of of, uh, Ninja films. And we established that the ninjas also claim to be magicians. I guess this scene could be the ninja fight from later parts of the film, or it just could be seen as an introductory. But it's pretty well executed. I enjoy it. It takes you into the film pretty well.
1: I thought it was pretty cringe-worthy and stupid, to be completely honest.
0: Well, we are dealing with an old film, and we're dealing with ninjas and kung fu, so... I, I would expect cringeworthiness all the way through.
1: Yeah, but Hong Kong cover is on its own league, especially during the opening scene when, when it comes to basically the tropes of the 80s Kung Fu movies. The first offense here is, like you pointed out, it, it is the terrible sound design which comes play already in the opening scene and it, it is very strongly present in basically every fighting scene throughout this film, Mm. where they try to make make the action more exciting, more out there, more dangerous, with the sound editing, by giving whips and and all the other sound effects into every goddamn hit, no matter exactly how slow or non-hitting those hits appear to be, and it actually comes Quite graining as the film goes on, but right here in the opening credits, it's it's just stupid. At this point, it's not yet irritating, but it is stupid. And then there is also the fact that Hong Kong presents himself as the traveling fluidist, which is kind of the least threatening professions you can possibly have. And the third strike comes from the fact that the, the, during the opening credits fight, I feel is being edited extremely poorly to a point where it doesn't work as an opening credit scene in the soundtrack wise because there is kind of of a good music track playing out during the opening credits and then it kind of gets chopped down whenever the fighting scene actually kicks in and the sound effects kicks in and then the fighting once again freezes into a freeze frame Of some motion and the soundtrack song once again keeps playing without interruption. And none of that works.
0: I'm completely willing to just ignore all those phrase frames and all these stylistic, unusual decisions. I'm not. To to me, it irritated. It irritated
1: the life out of me when I was watching it.
0: Okay. Well, it got definitely a little bit old by the moment when it had been done like 10 times. I was waiting for the film actually to begin but I can't believe that you're making a problem about the flute. It's kind of a makes the character have more character it's just something that he does to let people know that he is in the vicinity and I like this aspect. It's a, whatever Batman has this light reflected on the city and this guy has a flute.
1: It's 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 kind of a like a bad signal if, the, if bad signal would be lame and laughable flute i would still roll with Nope. most definitely not what what would, it's, what would it's you kind have of like then? W- wandering badass board
0: <sighs> you wouldn't
1: think you, that you have to have that
0: seriously either you would have you have to have kind of a trope like that you you have to insert your trope what, what would you have it then like a grand piano or what's your idea
1: I would remove the musical tropes from the main character of a kung fu film altogether.
0: Fine. But then we have the birth scene, then we have the father scene where I'm willing to accept some really interesting editing because it appears that there are two guys there that are almost dressed the same way, wearing a long pointy hat and that is black and the other guy has it black and they have white shirt on. And the establishing shot does not establish this other guy in the room. And we just have this awkward cut into the other guy with the similar clothing. And it's really confusing. Also, we're getting into some cultural aspects here. For example, the quote, are you ready to cut your hair for your father's shoes? Whatever the hell that means.
1: I I guess they are going to make shoes out of hair. Or oh, then then the hair would be used as soles in in the shoes. I was kind of a buzz out myself with this line and the whole whole notion of
0: hair that's a pretty good theory or I was just thinking it some some kind of a ritual that you <laughs> apparently have but yeah but i i, I guess the
1: most important story was the most important notion to make here. Is the notion that Hong Gil Dong has mastered the great learning at the age of four to give you that wonder child and the special once again in this film.
0: Oh dear, oh dear. Kim Il-sung is losing some ground here. There's another super-powered being, except uh, this one is completely unaccepted so as urban legend or a legend or fantastical story but then you have a leader who is who claims to have done exactly such things. Go figure that out. But you have a fruit scene and there's a quote, a son of a concubine dare call young master brother. So there is the high class wife and then there's the concubine wife and the, or not really a wife, probably even not sure if, if it was established like that, but that, but it's a concubine and, uh, the noble mother is angry that her daughter addresses the son of the concubine as brother. Where we already then established that this wife is going to be a bit of a pest throughout the film. Or a villainous character.
1: I got the main villain as far as this film does have a main villain or main antagonist. Yeah. The noble mother is, she is mostly a background force. Throughout the film, most of the obstacles that happened or the most of the enemy parties that appear throughout the film, they are not connected to the mother that strongly. The, the first party being the with that being the thieves are the only one that has a direct connection to the noble mother. But at the same time the noble mother is the only Bad character that gets carried over throughout the film as a bad person, and uh, whose maltreatment of Hong Kil Dong's mother is a plot point and a point in the narrative that is being constantly being returned to.
0: Lord Hong is talking something about uh, organizing a house for them, for Kil Dong and his mother, and uh, Lord Hong is informed that the robbers are rampant in Fjongan province, as the magistrates plunder people and peasants can't farm due to compulsory service. So to investigate, Lord Hong is asked by the king to to go where the robbers are to pacify them, as it's put. At least in the subtitles, which are kind of not of the highest quality sometimes.
1: I would still kind of make the case that to me these appear to be still the official subtitles.
0: Could be. I have no idea.
1: I I didn't get the reading that, like at the time, there there were moments when the subtitles were kind of a such of a high class that it no longer read to me like like a fan sub
0: Well, there are a lot of very interesting word choices, and you could be kind of screwed in trying to pick up colloquial language in those moments. And I'm not sure if there are even subtitles officially made for this film but could of course be, I don't know.
1: Most of uh, the kind of has to be subtitles being made, official subtitles for this film, seeing how the film did circle in other socialist countries. And because of that, they would kind of need, they, they need a subtitling process, at least to one uniform language that they could believe it would be understood even in other countries.
0: I would still believe that it was probably translated directly from korean to all those regional languages seeing how english was not really seen as yet quite the big thing what it is now and moreover there weren't communist english speaking countries once again who knows so the bandits attack but uh, <laughs> dotard saves the day part of this fancy language in the subtitles once again grandfather appears to save the day Hong honggildong wants to be the grandfather's disciple because of all these magical tricks that he's pulling off. Stopping the bandits in their places. And there we get to the training of Hongkyu Dong. Who is also able to pull the magical abilities.
1: Interesting to note in the daughter scene is the fact that. The aspect that really speaks to Hong Hongkyu Dong here. Is the fact that, that the old man can use. I guess the, the acupuncture points or the key points in human body to freeze them. Bandits temporarily in their place. And this is something Hong Ki wants to learn. Like, this is the absolute power that speaks to him. But yet, in the re- during the rest of the film, Hong Ki Dong actually never pulls this stunt off himself.
0: No, no, he does pull other tricks, though. He,
1: he does pull other tricks, and he does use plenty of high flying kung fu kicks and, and punches. But but this one trick, this one trick, freezing your enemy on his place is something that he does not pull off, even though that was supposed to be the main thing that appealed to him. Also something that I guess needs to be noted is that the bandits attacking here on, on, on the bandit attack scene have been hired by the high class mother. Indeed. And this, yeah, and this is kind of the only way how the high class model, since I made the case that she is the main antagonist and the main bad guy figure in the film, this is the only way how she ties into these proceedings and how, how she ties into any of the factions that are played as villains in the story.
0: Followed by hitting a chicken with a stick and with this uh, laugh that is Starting to sound like it's done by the same guy in the b- voice booth, because it's always this very controlled. <laughs> also, when he wets the bed, <laughs> very funny. And gets the flute from his grandfather. The origin of the flute, followed by adult face training. Now the jumps are in great form. He can jump over trees no problem. Kills a deer with one stone throw. And off it goes into the grill. Followed by, we see the bandits once again. I was a bit confused that uh, Hong Gil Dong is being so friendly for these bandits because they are obviously the bandits. But looks like Hong Gil Dong with all his superpowers is not able to remember them. But actually gives them a friendly smile first, which was funny. They are getting money from some people for unknown reason which didn't really open up to me for the rest of their life but apparently they have some slaves or something that helped them out Hong Kildong comes to visit his uncle that uh, seems to be living next door and uh, the bandits are kind of being the visitors in the next building for the nephew who is able to bring on such of an accommodation <laughs> there is quite a lot happening in this film and you have to keep up with this shit?
1: Uh, to kind of make it more
0: obvious, what most likely is going on
1: is that, well, and, and this is something that needs to be pointed out to the listeners who may not yet have seen the film, is that Grandfather and The Uncle are simply simply kind of a friendly titles given to the characters, and they are not who they really are. Like, it's, it's The
0: Uncle is kind of a... A friendly term, just to use.
1: It's kind of an alternative term for dude or or a friend. I don't know in, because... in the way how it's how it's used in the film. Hong Kyo Dong is not meeting his real uncle. He's simply meeting a man who he is familiar with and who he has friendly ties with. And same with with the old master of kung fu, who Hong Gil grandfather Character in question is not Hong Qiu Dong's real credit. It's simply a that Hong Qiu Dong presents to him out of respect. How did you pull that off? Well, simply because nothing in the film actually implies in any way that Hong Qiu Dong knows the old man, the grandfather. And same same with with this this character who Hong Dong calls uncle.
0: Well, I can I can go with the uncle. I can go with the uncle but grandfather I think could go I both I really ways can't still. go with the, the uncle. Yeah.
1: Because when the film starts, it is being made clear that he he uh, he is born in the city. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. the mother. Uh, that's what mother, I. That's what I. That's mo- what I meant. It, it is being implied that the mother has also been living in the city. And when they leave the city originally, they are supposed to go to the unfamiliar territories. They are m- in the middle of the trip when the bandits attack for the first time. That is when they meet the the grandmaster old man who takes them to their hut in somewhere in the mountains and. Apparently, this quote-uncle quote, yeah, yeah, yeah. lives near the Grandmaster's hut. So, what, again, I really can see how Hong Dong or his mother would be anyway familiar with with the character of of the uncle, as as he's being mentioned.
0: Yeah, that's the point that I was making. Like, like you noticed that there was this line where he was talking about Hong Kildong like he's kind of a stranger to him. Just some guy who appears at this village every now and then. But grandfather I could still make the blood tie with. Or it could of course be like, like you said. But it's subtitled as the grandfather and that's all you kind of know. Does make the film kind of more confusing than it needs to be? Maybe this is kind of a bad way to subtitle it for anyone who is going to watch it in the West, because it could be either just some. called as some kind of a grandmaster or whatever, instead of grandfather.
1: It most likely is something that is being lost in the translation, so yeah. to speak. I took those terms as titles that Hong Kyo Dong grants to them.
0: There is some clumsy dialogue here. Uncle and Dong find Yong Hua. the Prime Minister Rim is in Seoul. And this is the daughter of hers that they find that the bandits were holding.
1: Who has been kidnapped for no obvious reason except to make the re- introduction in the film and to give Hong Kyu Dong a kind gar- of object for his affection.
0: There's a lot of scenes like that that make really clumsy... Connections, or they are the, the, the way that people and people are introduced is a bit clumsy. Maybe not exactly here, but for example, I, I couldn't find yet any apparent reason why Hong Kil goes to the house where Young Hua is staying. He just comes there, he does nothing, and then he leaves. He just makes Young Hua drop the soup. So that was just kind of a forced romance scene between them in my opinion. Nothing more, nothing less.
1: It was, and to me that is kind of a a continuing problem with the entire film. I I saw the film as such that it's kind of being simply built out of these narrative building blocks, laid on top of each other until you kind of reach the point where the narrative can be set up, the narrative is finished. And there really wasn't that tying element that would strongly tie these scenes together and make it so that there there is a real reason why this scene plays out and why this that scene plays out as it does.
0: True. Um
1: Yep. And that to, to me that's kind of a was pretty much the biggest problem I had when it comes to the antagonist forces of the story.
0: Let's check out some of those. Unnatural scenes as we go on. Then there is the no to temptations plotline, where the grandfather master tells Hong Gil Dong that no, he cannot have any relations with girls like that. You can't pollute your mind like that. You have to keep your focus on your training. During the scene, the scenery changes throughout the scene. So this is some of this kind of honky cutting or like filming logic in any way. It seems like they are on three different rocks during this scene. But anyway, he falls for Young Hua and uh, Gildong sends Young Hua back to Seoul to her father so he could clear his mind, I suppose. Interesting to note
1: that Hong Gildong's training, if you go by what you see in the film and how the film I I don't know if the film is trying to present this the other way that there is even longer times to, to still take before Hong Kyu Dong is deemed ready by the Grandmaster, but the way how the film plays out, the way how you kind of see it when you watch it, it does appear that Hong Kyu Dong's training is almost over at this point, like it's it's weeks or months until Hong Kyu Dong is deemed ready.
0: Indeed. And then he is ready and leaves the grandfather with tears in his eyes. But, um yeah, back in Seoul we go. Prime Minister talks to the father of Hong Gil-dong, wants Gil-dong to marry his daughter. At this point, of course, he doesn't yet know that he is the son of a concubine, which is a huge, 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 huge deal. Hong Gil-dong plays his flute, gets his sword, leaves with mother already, immediately after they, after they turn their backs to grandfather, they do make the line where they say that they are not willing to return home. And the brother from the noble wife sees Hong Gildong now, after years of being away from him. Somehow Hong Gildong was not in touch with, with his family at all during the training period, for no apparent reason.
1: Well, it's once again—it's—it's it's those kung fu trainings where it's necessary that you are completely cut off from the rest of the world as long as your training is going on.
0: So completely that the whole family will think that you're dead. Precisely. Precisely.
1: It's—it's it's important that you are isolated when you are trained in the arts of kung fu.
0: We establish more evil upper-class lady. She clearly not happy that uh, Kil Dong is still walking in the streets, and that the mom is alive. And did she operate the bandit attack? Yes, is the answer. Back at Yon-Hua's flat, that here skilled dong is the son of a concubine. And now it reverses. They want to stop the marriage. Evil upper class lady then notices that the father is coming back home. He falls asleep immediately. Evil lady not very happy about that. So she gets even more jealous of the concubine lady and plans her evil plot followed by yet another kind of a interesting scene where the son and the father have a heart to heart gildong says he wishes his father had not been from lower class And basically kind of denounces the whole idea that he's been born as a bad idea wow now i'm not sure i is it the servant lady that is talking with the Noble wife, when they are plotting against Hong are and are planning to murder him, I, I guess it is. It,
1: it is some kind of a first maid. Yeah, like the most trusted servant lady that the noble wife has.
0: Yeah, the maid that uh, skips the laundry work because the one used for all those household regiments is now the concubine, and I'm not sure how. She convinced her to do that, but I suppose it's just that I'm higher class than you, so you do this cleaning because I told you to do so.
1: And that's how it plays out precisely. The noble wife pulls off rank and forces the lower class mistress, the concubine, to basically do what she
0: wishes. Regardless of the fact that when they were leaving the grandfather, they already decided with Hong Gil-dong that they will not return into this flat. Apparently they did. So the bandit tries to kill Gil-dong again. And uh, this is organized by the mother and um, the son of the said mother then appears into the scene, alerting his uh, half-brother Hong Gildong that he should wake up and... Uh, proceed in handling this horrible bandit and this is interesting
1: scene in the sense that this is like mentioned there are three antagonist forces or three enemy factions that Hong Dong must face the first one were the bandits who make a return in this scene or the leader of the bandits make the return yeah the second one is the corrupt upper class of Korea. And the last one are the ninjas. ninjas. And like mentioned. Only the first one of these three factions. The bandits are. Have anything to do with the main antagonist. The noble mother. And this scene here finally sees the end of that affiliation. After this point in the film. The noble mother no longer makes any contact with any any of the Forces at play, and the only way how she still is an antagonist and is a villain in the story is by mistreating Hong Gil-dong's mother.
0: Exactly, this whole ninja plotline is completely loose from everything else, as far as I can see. Then it. it started to really drag my patience in the last thirty minutes. It, it
1: does, and even the plot of the corrupt nobleman. It's it's kind of tied into the plot, but it's very loose footing. Yes. Yeah, and that is the problem I have when it comes to the villains in the story arc, and why I why I earlier made this the notion that I felt that this film was narrative wise, this movie is kind kind of a taking an element block of a plot and taking another block and then putting them on top of each other and trying to build the plot this way instead of kind of having a continuous and strong running narrative.
0: Yeah, this ninja plotline is even exacerbated by the fact that you will notice that the audio editing is going straight into hell in that moment because you can actually hear the original dialogue while the film was being filmed behind the actual adr terrible adr on top of it i have no uh, idea yeah. what was going on this this is incredibly bad
1: i i my my first guess and and this is me going off with a hunch is that they did it that way because they wanted to highlight that the ninjas come from a certain country like the voice were or the ADR behind the actual line delivery is supposed to be the original language, which then is being translated into into Korean for the audience.
0: Yeah, that's a good hunch, though. Let's see if we can notice which language this is.
1: That's kind of the only explanation that I came up when I noticed that one. Because I was, I, I was asking the same question. Why is there two audio tracks run, running uh, on top of each other whenever the ninjas are at play? That was the only reasoning I could find for doing that.
0: It took me actually like a couple of seconds to even notice that because at that time I, I was already kind of tired with the film. So I, I was starting to float out of this realm. But it's there and so... Now basically, there are some bandits that take the mom of Hong Gildong as hostage. And um, there are some bandit fights during daylight, saves a family or two. And this is where Hong Gildong is getting the incentive and notices how things are going in the town. Bandits doing all their banditry everywhere. And now he gets to hear that the governor is exploiting the peasants. So Gildong to the rescue. One of the main bandits there then pleads guilty and says he will turn a new leaf. And he actually does. Turns completely 180 degrees right there and starts to be on the side of Hong Gildong in the battles. Followed by corrupt officials flat at night, the son of corrupt official plays the flute and scares the living daylights out of them followed by the actual flute master appearing at the scene and removing further years from the officials' lives. And this is the most Robin Hoodian stuff that is going to happen in this film. Now the parents try to convince daughter to marry someone else. Totally not really working. Here the mother now puts the stepmother to clean the house. This so-called noble wife is getting totally out of hand. And there is talk about not being able to enter the royal court without the money box that has been now lost. Is it the governor rim who lost it? I guess it was the king once again. The king once again. Okay.
1: Because such of a big deal is being made out of the stolen money box. And if this sounds like this is that our Depiction of what happens in the film is disjointed and jumps around all over the place and does not really make that m- much a- of a cohesive narrative. That is purely because that is how it actually happens in the film. Also, yes, the plot points are really this disjointed from each other. It's kind of, it it does play out like that. There is an enemy faction A. And something happens and all of a sudden an enemy faction B appears. And then that comes into a running hold. And then finally the final enemy faction appears. And you deal with that and end credits.
0: It was so disjointed that I actually first when I saw one of the ninjas pop up from the top of that hut where the lady was trying to feed the bandits or ex-bandits. I thought that that was Gil-dong, But uh, lo and behold, this ninja... Plotline is completely separate from everything else.
1: It, it is, it is, and it kind of makes no fucking sense at all. Like, even when you finally reach the end of the film and you see the final payoff of all of this, it kind of, it still does raise a question: Why was the ninja plotline inserted into the movie? Because you could have reached that end point. The conclusion of the narrative with either one of the previous plot lines that you have introduced in the film.
0: Because you have to have your Japanese buddies in the film, I suppose.
1: That, yeah, that kind of was the only rational explanation I also found for the insertion of the ninjas. Simply the fact that, like pointed out, at this point, it kind of appears to admit, yeah, the ninjas really do come from Japan. They are the most evil faction of the film. They are the faction that unifies the entire Korea against them, and they come from Japan.
0: Then why the hell not make the bandits the Japanese as well, or just instead of those ninjas?
1: Yeah, or why why not introduce the ninjas as the first and only antagonist force?
0: You could have just had one of these bandits to turn to the side of Hong Gil-dong and then this bandit would attack his old bandit mates and that's the story. It could
1: have worked, yep. Or it it could have simply been the corrupt officials throughout the film and the conclusion of the narrative would have, you know, be achieved through removing the corrupt officials at the very end of the film. Like it plays out in the Robin Hood storyline where it's the corrupt wise king of the land that is the main bad guy and Robin Hood has to overthrow
0: him. Right, so now it's Robin Hood against the corrupt Korean officials and it's Robin Hood against the terrible Japanese intruders and it's Robin Hood against Korean bandits and it's all over the place.
1: It is. Also because each one of these plot lines, the, the thieves, the officials and the ninjas in the end, they don't come into a satisfying conclusion in that that sense that that conclusion would be achieved through a logical and typical narrative. It's kind of like there is a situation and then it crashes to a wall and that is the end point. Like they all of a sudden, they reach the moment where they resolve the conflict.
0: They sort of do and they kind of give a different kind of ending than you would perhaps first assume would be happening that the king would then be more accepting and then let this one wish go through that Hong Gildong wants to marry Yong Hwa. But no. So the brother of uh, Gildong has been hurt in action against the ninjas. and He gives the plot point that they broke into the palace also and stole national treasures. And, uh, the bad guys are called the black corps.
1: This is also an interesting point when you compare each of these factions to each other, but the ninjas also go throughout the land and they steal the young girls.
0: Yeah, they are addicted to those girls they, and re- ready yeah. to ruin their whole existence because of girls. There is an interesting castle scenery at 5605. Honkildon goes through a passage that looks like a castle and now i'm curious where this was filmed this is a really nice scenery as mentioned you can hear the original dialogue in the background now let's see what language this is give me some ninjas now where are you your theory holds indeed they are speaking japanese there originally yeah so i guess that's kind of that's the reason but it's still a Real bit uncomfortable.
1: It's, it, the, the whole ninja plotline is kind of a disheartening to see.
0: They are also able to do some magic tricks and the shittiest of them all is the hiding into the sand and getting killed. But kind of a good notion for this film is the fact that our hero is actually vulnerable. Not doing only the Superman stuff but also gets hurt in the end battle.
1: Well, he he does get hurt when fighting against them. Not the main bad guy, but w- w- would the leader of the ninjas be like the second main bad guy?
0: Yeah, let's say so. So the king says, "No, you're not gonna marry my daughter because you're a concubine. Because I am too headstrong to allow you to marry her. Everything else is on the table. You can even." Whatever, take all my money, but no, you will not marry my daughter. So the final quote to close the film is: They sailed out to find a land where all can enjoy equal rights and live harmoniously, free from poverty. But could there ever be such an ideal land waiting for them? Well, if you wanna be snarky, maybe they landed in South Korea.
1: <laughs> maybe they came to Finland.
0: Hmm. Land of the Free, Home of the Taxes. <laughs> and uh, Hong Kildong did take Yonghua with him. And they ran away happily together to some magical land. And that's the film.
1: Uh, also took his mother. Also took his mother. Which uh, I, I guess uh, also is, is kind of an important plot point here since the mistreatment of Hong Gil-dong's mother was kind of a running conflict in the film.
0: Kind of a Noah's Ark without the animals, getting into some new land, to establish a new existence. That is Honkildong Henrik.
1: That it is. Like I said, the socialist messaging and and the socialist themes, the more propagandist elements of the story, they do come into play on the second half of the film. The first film is surprisingly. These elements are surprisingly absent from the film on the first half. And the second half is where they kick in with, with the ninjas and with this mentioning of Gil-dong sailing to a new country where everybody is free. And with the corrupt officials and this class divide.
0: For me, I wasn't sure what to expect here coming into this film. I wasn't completely excited, uh, to be honest. But... At least now I have seen a North Korean film and probably the films of Ok Shin are some of the best to come out of North Korea. Or is that actually from South Korea? Because you hijack or you kidnap a South Korean director.
1: Which uh, ne- needs to be pointed out. <laughs> Once again is fake news and they defected. And then they stole a bunch of money from North Korea and escaped. As the yeah. official version goes.
0: Of course, of course. The director just wanted so bad to come back to his homeland since he was born in North Korea before the war. Uh, the quick categories are waiting for us. Unless we're to- going to talk about those Hong Kildong video games. Which do not exist, I hope. Actually there are Hong Kildong video games, <laughs> but not based on this film. There is a lot of art that has been released from regarding Hong Gil-dong. There's books, there's comics, there is animated films, there's a TV series from South Korea that I believe was quite successful and of course we have tonight's film and um favorite performance.
1: For my end it goes to The Old Man. I I did find all the acting and all the performances in the film quite wooden. Even when they were trying to present these heavy, heart hitting emotions, like at the end, when Hong Gil-dong's stepbrother is yelling after him as Hong Gil-dong sails away to this mystical land. Even in those that kind of a moments, I found that the acting was, Pretty stiff in my opinion And I thought that the old man The grandmaster, master Kung fu master artist Was kind of the most easygoing in his performance And because of that I I Was most at ease When he was at on screen
0: For me it's kind of hard To say when North Korean or Korean actors Are wooden or not Because there's also the cultural Aspect that you have to see here And I'm not sure what is wooden And what is just being Korean So I kind of like the main actor of the film Hong Gildong actor He was kind of being as wooden as this uh, As this martial arts film stars usually go But uh, kind of a handsome-ish lead And pulled it pretty well I guess nothing special to no- note there but grandfather, very enjoyable, especially that laugh. Favorite scene would be the beach fight against the ninjas. I'll go with the training scenes
1: with the grandfather. I had kind of a scene those training scenes in millions
0: of other kung fu films before. Of course, I'm just saying that these are some of the more light-hearted stuff in the film. Favorite quote
1: from my end, it 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 would be from the end narration. They resisted the regime of the noble and made great service for their country, but all they got were maltreatment and contempt. And that is the most accurate depiction of of the life of Finnish student I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> While well, magic was explained in the film, quote, magic is the complex of intelligence, physical and mental strength. So okay, good to know. Favourite kill.
1: Uh, well, all, all the kills in the film are pretty lame. But if, if you would have to pick, it would either be... It, the, both picks would be from the final battle at the beach. When when the villagers are facing off the, off the ninjas. So it's either when the ninjas are being killed by... With, with the throwing knives... See, basically all the projectile weapon kills in the film were somewhat hilarious since it was jump cuts to the fast moving hands and then somebody falls over or it would be that moment when the ninjas are trying to hide in the sand and they, kill them with the spikes or, or the spears and you, you see this blood just crouching off from inside the earth
0: I was to mention that the first kill, when the ninjas are under the sand, and you can see that when he puts the spear into the guy or alleged guy, you can see the plastic pipe or whatnot when the blood starts bursting out of it. That's my favorite. Come on, don't kill. spoil it. It's the most violent, violent moment of the film. I'm so sorry that I ruined the film for everyone. Random, confusing question. Let's go to North Korea, Henrik. What do you think? There are some arranged trips there, so we could be seeing Pyongyang at least.
1: I I have actually been somewhat tempted on, on taking a trip to North Korea simply to see all the all the craziness myself. The problem I'm kind of facing is I'm not entirely sure. Would if if taking that trip would I kind of immediately find myself in the watch list of the finnish central police force upon return back to finland
0: hm i most likely will not still go to north korea because that would be supporting this evil regime and then again you can extend that thought and you can perhaps plan your vacation trip somewhere else to then To the close eye of Erdogan in Turkey, so maybe you should just stay in Finland. But North Korea is pretty much something else.
1: It kinda would be the most adventure you can easily get by simply booking up a trip into any given nation.
0: But Henrik, did the film match with your expectations? It kinda did
1: not. I was expecting something much more heavy-handed and More obviously uh, pro-socialist, more obviously pro-North Korean propaganda. I was I was surprised exactly how how little propaganda in the end there was in the film, even though there most definitely was that, and even though it was very very much in your face. But it was still in a lesser degree than I originally expected.
0: Yes, kind of same sentiments here i thought it would be much worse in the overall execution of it i was expecting more propaganda perhaps and i was expecting less jokes or humor
1: then again w- once again oh, with that notion i guess i was also expecting a bit better film
0: hmm. i think this is the best that you can get out of north korea but we we might I... have to check on that in some future episodes I I don't know. I don't know. Of course, you can get uh, the great laughs out of something like the. What was it? Bulbasari.
1: B- Bulbasari. Bulbasari. Yeah. I I I would almost. I I haven't seen the entire film. I also haven't seen Salt so on its entirety. There, I I'm not sure. Is it the best? Most well-recorded film coming from North Korea, but it was awarded in the fourteenth Moscow Film Festival for Best Actress. So I, 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 I still want to believe that you can get a better film from North Korea, and I would like to, and I want to believe that both Bulgarsari and Salt would be
0: better films. Nevertheless, this is one of the most recognized films coming out of North Korea, but. First image that comes to mind of this film. To me it's Hong Kil Dong as an adult jumping
1: over the tree when he finally gets those iron brands off his
0: legs. For me it's when Hong Kil Dong and mother leave grandfather behind and Hong Kildong has a tear in his eyes. What took you out? Well the first thing was the opening credits which
1: I really didn't care for. <laughs>
0: Pretty much the last thirty minutes with the ninjas was dragging on my patience with the weird ADR. What, what the cancer
1: racism didn't save it for ya. Nope. Come on, the f- film was packing a hell of a lot on on you hating the chaps.
0: <laughs> I guess that works only in and around northern part of Korean peninsula.
1: Yeah, when wh- when it comes to kind of a looking at why why the ninjas are introduced why the film makes a point of making the japanese as as the most horrendous bad guys in the film my first guess also would be that it would be hearkening back into the days of the japanese occupation in korea and the hostile attitudes that koreans still kind of hold over the japanese for those times because the japanese regime in korea as far as I've understood, it was extremely brutal. Yeah. And that would still be... And and to me, it uh, even uh, kind of explains the North Korean mentality that exists in the country today. Because I see a lot of parallels between the North Koreans and the mentality they have. The, this worship of quasi-godlike leader figure. And also the brutality and the totalitarian attitude they have. This, and this fascist nationality. this belief that they are the best people and the most purest race on planet Earth. And I see that a lot of parallels between that and the 1910s Japan.
0: Whichever the case, it doesn't take away from the fact that in general, North Korea is an extremely racist country in its official rhetoric.
1: Well, yeah, they are. And and once again, um, it, it's it's kind of a, that's an attitude that I kind of also tie into the history. Because when Japan colonized Korea, they wanted to imprint on the Korean people this image that, the koreans were a subset of japanese race Mm. and this was done in order to kind of lead the koreans into joining the imperial cause of japan and to make the koreans more lenient towards the imperial cause and to me this is kind of something that that to me explains a lot of north korean racism and other these nationalistic aspects of Korea. Sure. To me, North Korea reads as this kind of a weird hybrid state between the old world imperial Japan and the Soviet Union mentality.
0: You are very right about that weird hybrid, but what pulled you in?
1: (laughs) Uh, (coughs) What pulled me in? Uh... (laughs) Eh uh, I, I I guess some of the action was good.
0: Yeah, I think also that the choreography wasn't too bad. At times. I mean if you at if times
1: you, I I thought it was absolute dog shit.
0: If you look at the opponents, I don't think they are always that obviously waiting for the hit to come. As is as in many such films like this, you can see that they are just. If you, instead of, if you switch your focus from the main protagonist away to the antagonist's side, then you can see that there are some really goofy moves going on, but it's also, also here, but not as strong as you'd think. What pulled me in was certain relationships with the characters. Once again, I would rewind back to the good old grandfather. I had a good time there. Scissors of Sacrilege, what would you do to this film?
1: I would, I guess I would try to rewrite the entire thing.
0: Yeah. It's a good point that we have raised during the episode. There should be more clearly defined one antagonist side instead of three different separate parts. Doing their thing. So that and the movie spends a hell of a lot of time on some certain frames. And I don't know why it should keep moving a little bit faster. I
1: also kind of know that you reminded me of the pre antagonists in the narrative i also felt that the narrative itself like the main narrative point of the story that being the class divide the noble mother mistreating hong Kyu-dong's mother and the fact that hong Kyu-dong can't marry the woman he wants because of the class ceiling because of the class divide i kind of felt that it was it was weak but that that Structure would have needed something stronger into it,
0: but I suppose this was a legitimate point to raise at the time.
1: It, it, it may have been, but it still is kind of a weak narrative when you, when you look at it. If the, if narratively on this regard, if on, the only thing you have is that I'm being shit to your mom, and no, you can't w- marry the girl you want because of class. It's it's kind of like. You can simplify it into a one sentence. And this movie
0: lasts for one hour and 44 minutes. Yeah, it's too long. It's uh, it's about 20 minutes too long or so. Yeah, I would uh, do something about the whole ninja plot. Try to streamline this thing. You don't really need to make it so complicated when you're doing a kung fu movie. Maybe
1: maybe, maybe take, take the ninjas into the story as as the first antagonist and simply keeping them like introducing the ninjas in the beginning as the film does in the opening credits for pete's sake and then just you know have the entire film as the ninjas being the bad guys
0: Tito, you really know you're watching Uncle Dong. when when the perverted chaps are stealing young women
1: again like what we what have we been telling you to you japan
0: uh, uh, you really know you're watching Hong Gil-dong. when <laughs> when when I don't know, I, we've seen this millions of times already <laughs> but with better execution
1: yeah that, that also <clears throat> I mean th- this is almost like a film that is being directed by a guy who has been kidnapped and forced to direct a film
0: <laughs> <clears throat> If if I were to be a parrot for myself, I would say that it's once again you really know you're watching this film when you see this confusing confusing mix of different kind of antagonist plot lines. Three adjectives to describe Hong Gil Dong.
1: For my end, it it would be traditional. This meaning the execution of the film. And then traditional? Now in the messaging of the film. And finally kind of held
0: back. Hmm. Well, it is confusing. It is haphazard and it's execution. And kind of what rises is this, yeah, I guess traditional is the best word for it. This, um, that is definitely touching on some history. This, there and this whole, this uh, old values are at the forefront for, like, an eternity. Concubine and the noble wife. So, Traditional.
1: Traditionally is is pretty good tra- adjective when describing Hong Gil
0: Dong. Did you look at your watch during this film? I did a couple of times. Same here. It's pretty obvious of the whole execution of this episode. Hendrik, would you recommend Hong Gil I like
1: like believe me, I would like to recommend Hong Dong. I really would. I. I hope I would be able to recommend it because I I think that also North Korean cinema can be very interesting and there is merit to seeing and watching North Korean films as they are a representative of that culture and since it is kind of the most guarded culture it's it's kind of a it's kind of a closed kingdom so in that sense seeing a film coming from from North Korea would it could have an extra meaning in the process of seeing it that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, there is two ways to look at it. Of course, it is interesting in the sense that it's a North Korean film... ...and it gives you this perspective of this extremely closed-up country. But just when you were, if you are... In that sense, it is interesting. And uh, But uh, as a film... Most definitely I would not recommend Hong Gildong because of the poor execution. Um, uh, some of bad performances as well, but it's just not going as linearly as you should be seeing it going. It's just, I don't know what happened here. It's pretty easy to make a good film out of this, but it's going into all these subplot or several directions at the end. So I would not recommend Hong Kildong.
1: And the execution is what actually breaks it down for me too. And I'm not even making the argument that you have to make easily followable, streamlined, narratively structured movie. Like, you you can distance yourself from the typical three-act structure. And your narrative... You can make a film which has hard to follow narrative and you can even make your weird art house film if you want but with Hong dongs case is that Hong Kyung-dong obviously does not try to be that kind of a film it it tries to be very linear and very easy to follow film but the execution is is like you said it's so haphazard that it fails in being that and on top of that in many ways Hong Kyung-dong it's kind of a dead bird society situation where if you have watched gu- kung fu films you most likely you have in at least in some capacity you have seen Hong honkyo dong you have seen all these building blocks what you may not have seen that often is the socialistic class divide narrative and maybe did not see not, not have seen the chap and japanese people as being the most evil people in the world, like they are in Hongkiu Dong. But other than that, you you kind of have seen this film. You you have seen the poor kid who finds his sensei and gets trained into being the godmaster of, of kung fu, and then using his powers to defend the people. And you've even seen most of the stunts that Hong Dong pulls off. You you have seen the smoke bombs. You have seen the jumping over trees. You have seen jumping from one tree to the next. You have seen all this, and because of that, you have seen Hong Gil Dong. And unlike with Dead poet Society, Hong Gil Dong is not a good enough film to be watched if you have seen the seen this type of movie already. And because of that it's very hard to actually in the end find yourself recommending watching Hong Dong. I can I can recommend checking out North Korean movies but I still want I, I would kind of from what I've understood I would recommend checking Bulgassari or Salt.
0: <laughs> Bulgassari well it is probably entertaining because of how terrible it is technically.
1: Yeah, and, and the socialist propaganda aspect, or the socialist metaphor, I, I I guess it's more smart in Bulgasari. So also, if you, if you want to have your North Korean propaganda fix, I, I guess Bulgasari would do a better job.
0: Yeah, I was trying to look for a film that doesn't have all these usual North Korean connotations, that it's loaded with propaganda, or that it is just ridiculous by the merit of its terrible effects or or that it, it's simply being entertaining by being so bad but you can find your fix for that kind of North Korean cinema as well maybe next time that said this film has kind of um, made me interested in the South Korean Dong the hero TV series from 2008 which is kind of the Hong Dong story but with some modern uh, ideas mixed into it could be fun seems to have good reviews well, Henrik, how do you feel? We are still going strong with weird films.
1: Uh, you, know, you you can speak on your own end. I I'm already getting uncomfortable enough to actually start booking flights to North Korea and escape Finland. <laughs> I I I think I'm running out of the free soil where where I can run.
0: We'll just have to see if Henrik will pop up here next week or has Kim Jong-un already sent his boats to I don't know, or in this case, planes to catch you from Rovaniemi.
1: <laughs> well, I, I guess at, at this point, all, all that will be sent is just an intercontinental ballistic missile. <laughs> so, if, if Finland ever gets nuked out of face of the earth, you kind of can. this can be taken as a historical accord. What most likely was the cause?
0: Yeah, the flick lab host. <laughs> yep. Was captured and and started the world war. Most
1: likely out of revenge for freezing his social benefits.
0: Henrik, I think that's pretty much a good wrap up of North Korean cinema for this evening. Would it be time to sail out of this laboratory and go into the land of pizza and popcorn for tonight? Most definitely not. I wouldn't touch that. Polluting, capitalistic
1: fluff. If we are sailing to somewhere, I absolutely demand that we sail into a mysterious country where there is no class divide and everybody can
0: be free and equal. Okay, so I guess it's going to be just pulkogi and cold noodles for you.
1: (laughs) It will be a wooden shack and
0: re-education for me. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, and Henrik, what is our next film?
1: Oh, I have no faintest idea
0: would it be Pippi Longstocking
1: I guess it wouldn't fuck that
0: (laughs) so next week it's going to be Pippi Longstocking from Sweden one of our international cinema challenge films that most of all my co-host Henrik is extremely looking forward to so it's about Astrid Lindgren's book and after the TV series there has been some full films one of them being...
1: I guess we are talking about Pippi Longstocking for the haven.
0: Yeah, let's go with that. Well, anyway, it's Pippi Longstocking at the sea, following his father's footsteps as the pirate. Rawr! Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you next week, uh, if uh, Henrik has not been completely re-educated. Long live the lab and uh, see you next week.
1: Yeah, all, all praise our glorious supreme leader, Curry. <laughs> I was not forced to say that on con Point.
0: Is this where it's going to go? <laughs> like the flick Club, full of uh, like a kind of a passive-aggressive reminders that God damn it, Curry, choose some easier movies for this podcast. <laughs> the, these these are
1: the secrets that we did not disclose in our celebrated <laughs> fiftieth episode. That that shit is still going on.
0: Oh, dude, dude, uh, uh, am I hearing like, uh, would you like to do a 50th episode part two by any chance? We should uh,
1: God, no, no.
0: Oh, a- anything oh. except that. Oh,
1: that 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 is way too much re-education. <laughs> the shillings and the missile launches that it, it that that year Ola on pikkaselia vaikeassa aiheessa tälläkin nope sen